Judges 20, and I believe what you have is verse, beginning at verse 17. It says, Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. The children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, Which of us shall go up to first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of Israel. And the people, that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and went before the Lord and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up, excuse me, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah, and the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day, and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at the other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people, as at the other times, in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel, and the other to Gebeah, and in the field, about thirty men of Israel. And so the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us, as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. All 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, so, I was. This message was birthed in. Uh, I was driving on 14th Street, month maybe two months ago, and uh, I was brought back into history. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me get that down. Um, I was brought back, thrusted back about 20 years in the past. Uh, it was funny because 
we were on 14th Street right before Moberly, a little ways, a lot of traffic, and I happened to be right by a fortune teller house. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, I was, I was translated to the past. I remember all my family, and we're rebuking, casting out, binding Satan, and you in the name of Jesus. And I noticed that this fortune teller house looks better than I've ever seen it before because, you know, 15 years ago, it was a shanty. It was just, it was, and I'm like, how many times did I bind, cast out, and bound, and all these different things, and yet business is booming for the devil? I'm just being honest with you. So I started thinking, how many Christians are there in Bentonville? Well, we know there's, well, a lot, supposedly, hopefully. How many of them have gone by there and rebuked Satan? I would bet everyone here has done that at some point in time, you know, did warfare, you know. It made me think, why is it that sometimes opposition prevails? Why is that? We know God doesn't oppose us. So why does God allow opposition to prevail? I I don't know if you guys wonder that. I mean, you know, it's like, it seems like the more sometimes we seek God, the more collateral damage comes our way, Right? Uh, and so I was thinking about this, and I was brought back to the scripture. Now, I didn't read, have her read the first part intentionally because it's rated R, or maybe even worse. But I'm going to try to make that portion of scripture PG-13, maybe PG, right? Uh, I'm going to try to, you know, but it's about a Levite who has a wife, and it's in a time where there's really not much of the word of God being preached at all. People are kind of doing their own thing. And, and this Levite, goes into the town of Benjamin, a town that was filled with perverts. And uh, what happened was, well, make a long story short, his wife was, uh, what's the best word, assaulted and uh, by the whole town. And so he wakes up, and I guess he's, you ready to go, dear? (laughs) I don't know, it's kind of a strange, strange passage. But she ends up just rolling over and dying. Well, he's traumatized, and maybe that's the reason why he responded the way he did. And uh, trauma can take you different ways. And, and so what he does is he ends up severing, I don't know how to say this any other way, but her, part, her body into 12 pieces and sends them to 12 tribes of Israel. And they're all like, we have never seen anything like this before. This is like Hannibal Lecter or something. You know, I mean, this is really weird, you know? So they all come up against... Israel, or Benjamin. Now, the Bible says there's like, I think it was like 700 guys that could split a hair with a stone. I mean, we're talking about Rambo 3, Rambo 4. We're talking about these guys, they're ready for war. And, and they, they, they seek the Lord. They pray, they, they do everything, and they obey the Lord. And it says they went out in perfect unity and they lost 22,000 people. God, are you on my team? So then they come back, that's okay, it's okay, we're going to do it, God's going to get us through it. I confess victory or whatever. And and so they're ready and they have a servant, they do all these things, they pray. And then they lose 18,000. Both times in direct command of the Lord. Now, we may lose battles, but we know we'll never lose the war, right? I mean, it may appear that we lose battles, but the neat thing about God is even the things that we appear to lose end up being victories. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever had that happen in your life. But there are things that happen that we just don't understand. So the third time, they basically go to church, they fast, they seek God, they even have a praise service, and they bring out the ark, and they go and they finally win. 
But my question is, why is it that, that, that it seems to be that sometimes in our life that the enemy seems to prevail against us? I want to address this thought. I want to give you some thoughts that came to my mind while looking at this fortune teller. I mean, I mean, the, paint, the place was painted. I mean, they made some money. And we're not in the Bible Belt. We're, as Pastor Bill says, we're in the buckle of the Bible, Bible Belt. You know what I'm saying? So what's going on that 10,000 Christians can rebuke and bind, and I don't know how many times they prayed, and the devil's prospering there. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to, please don't take this wrong. I'm not trying to, God is not weak. God is not challenged uh, uh, in any way. I mean, it's not a God, it's not an issue with God. It's an issue, I think, that things that he wants to teach us in life, I believe. And I want to talk about maybe God allows sometimes opposition to prevail because he really wants us to learn how to man up. I don't know what you, I, that's what we say, you know, I, like, like we're playing football. Or I'm not trying to be sexist or anything, but you know, you know, just man up, you know, just, 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 just be, a, I don't know, I don't know how else to say that, but maybe he wants us to learn how to serve him in the heat of the battle, maybe. And so there's a saying that says this, if it doesn't kill you, what? Makes you stronger, Right? I mean, you know, we have scriptures like, you know, gates of hell will not prevail. If you eat any deadly thing, it won't hurt you, you know? I mean, maybe God just wants us to be stronger in the midst of the battle and see things that we never knew that we have. I've noticed that when people go to the mission field, I mean, Pastor Bill could go and evangelists could come out of him. Uh, you know, any of you guys could go and whatever your gift is, a totally different opposite gift could come out of you. Or maybe not opposite, but a complimentary gift or things that you didn't even know that were down there. Because you're so dependent on the Spirit. Maybe it's in the midst of the battle that we become so dependent on the Spirit that God begins to manifest things that we've never seen before. I, I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. You know, maybe it's that God allows opposition so that we can discover the tenacious warrior we are in Christ. Right? Uh, you know, in pre-med, uh, I said pre-med, uh, First Chronicles 11, I just, it talks about this guy named Joshua Bean. Now, I'm not very fond of the name, but it says he lifted up his spear against 300 people and lived to tell it. He took them out. So my question is, how could Joshua Beam discover this amazing power of the Holy Spirit in him to take out 300 enemies of God? How? Now, we know that the Philistines and all that are representative of the armies of Satan, right, in the Old Testament, so I don't need to explain all that. But how, how was he able to do that? Well, when he saw 300 people coming... He didn't run. He faced them. There's another scripture that's really kind of inter interesting. I like this one about Eliezer. It says, the son of Dodo, the Ohite. And it said, it said here in verse 13 of the same chapter, it says, now there the Philistines were gathered for battle. Every time you get a word from God, you will be attacked. Anytime God speaks to you, there will be an attack. If you wake up the morning and you don't have a head-on collision with Satan, it's because you're going the wrong way. I'm telling you, when the word of God is the most threatening arm or weapon that, 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 get, that could oppose Satan. And God desires you to be his word weaponized in this world. So it says here, it says, it says so this guy they're all waiting for him to battle. It says, and there was a piece of a ground full of barley. King James says lentils. How many of you guys would fight over beans? You know, you want it? That's okay. I'm not, I wasn't that fond of it. So the people fled from the Philistines. Let me tell you, most people will leave you behind for, for a patch of beans, right? But they, which is, it's insinuate David and Eleazar. That's just why David was a leader. 
That's the reason why David was king, because David was ready to fight. And it says here, stationed themselves in the middle of that field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought a great victory. So how did Eleazar, how did David discover this massive warrior that was in them through Jesus Christ? By defending a small patch of beans. Now, why would you want to defend a small patch of beans? It's one simple reason, because God gave it to him. You may have a small family, but God gave it to you. It doesn't matter what, what God has given you. He's given it to you. You defend it. I love what Pastor Bill said. I walk outside my house, and I, I start doing that too. I start declaring, you are not welcome here, Satan. Let me tell you, you got to defend what God's given you. He's given you all the weapons, but you have to step out on the water. You have to defend. You have to fight for it. I love that about you. Now, here's the guy that I really like. Right? There's one guy who talks about he fought until his hand claved to the sword. It was amazing. He couldn't even let go of the sword. I mean, him and the word of God became one. You know, sometimes it's in the battle where the word of God becomes more manifest in your life than any other time. That you, you, you're hanging on to it so much, I can't hang on. Just hang on to it. Just hang on to it. And then one day, all of a sudden, God smiles on you and turns the word of God, makes it a part of you where you can't even let go of it. And he won the battle. But here's the one I really like. I, I, I like this one. This is really cool for me. It's in First uh, Chronicles eleven twenty two. It says, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man uh, uh, from uh, Kebizil. And then it says, who had done many deeds. And it says this, he killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Now, now many, many believe that these were demon-possessed people that had like a lion look. Some have even uh, have said that they were demons. I don't know. I don't really care if, it, you know, I love that story about Joshua. He's going to the promised land, right? I mean, this is what God wants you to be like. He's going to the promised land, and the Bible says there's an angel drawn with a sword. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I hear about an angel, they're like at least 12 foot tall. They got this big sword, and Joshua, he takes out his sword. And he says, are you for us or are you against us? Are you for God or are you against God? He's ready to take on an angel. It ended up being Jesus, what most Bible scholars believe. It's what they call a Christo, I don't know how to say that in English, but it ends up being a Christo type, whatever. But it was Jesus, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. And, 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 but the thing is, is, he was like, I don't care how big you are, you're in the way of what God wants me to do. You gotta get a hold of that word. You gotta fight for it. But then it says this, and here's the part I wanna get to. It says, he had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. Now, one, I'm not going to take on a lion. I'm, I'm a wimp without God. I'm going to tell you that. But I've done some crazy things, man. And, and it wasn't because of me. It's because God just took over. But this guy, the Holy Spirit, took over. He sees this lion. Now, a lion that's in a pit in the time of snow, not many animals are going to fall in that pit. He's hungry. And he goes, and, 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 and being it's in a pit, that means he doesn't need to take on that lion, but he's going the extra mile to extend God's king. He jumps down that pit and he takes the lion. Now, how is it that, that he discovered that he could take on a lion and defeat it? How is it? By jumping into a pit with a lion. Some of you need to, if you want to discover the man and woman of God you are, you need to jump into a pit. You need to. I'm not talking about do something just 
just, just on a whim. I'm talking about when you know that God's called you to Jericho and there's a lion in your way, you need to say, hey, I'm going for it. God told me to go to, to El Salvador. I scared to death. I didn't have any money. And people say, we're going to support me. didn't. And I was mad at them. I wasn't mad. God was trying to teach me something. It wasn't their fault. It was God was trying to teach me to trust him, not man. Stephen and I drove all the way through Mexico. I can't tell you all the things we found. I scared it. But you know what? I did it out of obedience. People say, well, you know, if you obey God, you shouldn't have fear. That's not true. Every time I've done something for God, I was afraid. But just obey God. Man up. Stand on his word. And you will see the manifestation of God in your life, the manifestation of his spirit in your life. I want to show you this video. This is so cool. Uh, uh, you might maybe turn down the lights a little bit and show this video. Uh, this just happened a couple days ago. That's okay. We... Just don't take too much of my sermon time. The story is 17-year-old Bradbury girl runs right up to a mama bear and pushes her off a wall, all to protect her dog. Security camera caught the action. Eyewitness News reporter Alice Cheney spoke to the young woman who explains what she was thinking at the time. I had it in me, to be honest. Like, who does that? Who in their right mind pushes a bear? It was a quiet Monday afternoon until a bear makes its way into this Bradbury backyard. <laughs> The dogs run out, and then 17-year-old Haley follows them out of the house. Honestly, I did not know it was a bear until right after I pushed it. I didn't register in my head that it was a bear. I was like, it's an animal, and it's taking my, my child, and I pushed the bear. And I was like, oh my god, I just pushed a bear. Haley pushed the bear away That's and so protected cool. the family's three <laughs> oh dogs. Goodness. Her mother was shocked when she saw the video. I just. That's good. So why has he knocked that bear off? He's on my patch of beans. That belongs to me. God gave it to me. Now I want you to think about what has God given to you? And let me tell you what I think. I think maybe opposition is what you need to man up, to fight for it. Things don't come easy. But we will win if we don't give up. Grow not weary and well doing for in due season. You will reap if what? You faint not. We can't blame it all on God. We got to step out. We got to take that first step. So anyway, I want to tell you a quick story about this boy. He was ridiculed by his brothers, disowned by his father, taunted by demons. He was sent to do a dead-end job, a job that was like, like you know, it was a no-man, dead-man zone. And uh, he, was, he was sent by himself when normally it was a job for many uh, to, defend his, his, um, to defend his inventory against wild beasts, Right? And, and, and so they would come, and, and he was afraid just like anybody else. He was in the wilderness, man. He didn't know what to do. But he reported later that God gave him a capacity to take out these wild animals to defend his inventory. Uh, it was amazing. And, 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 and the boy had every excuse. He was only like 15 years old, many people believe. And, and he, only, he had every excuse to complain. But instead of that, he transformed all his hurt, all his rejection, all his anger into an amazing, massive form of worship to God. And he began to worship God in such a way that one day this, this leader of their ruler was walking by and he saw him. And he noticed something. There was a change in the environment. 
The animals respected him. There was a change. There was, there was something different. You ever been into a room where you walk in and there's a hush as a certain person walks in? Not because of them, but because they walk in a level of authority that you and I don't. I've seen it before. God has blessed them with a sense of, I don't know if you've ever seen that before. But this, this guy, this, this young boy, he hadn't even know it. He would just lavishly pour out praise into God instead of complaining about all the things he went through. And this one guy sees him. And so he goes back to his leader. His leader starts having his epileptic fits, right? He's throwing himself on the ground. They finally realize it's a demon. And this guy says, I know a boy. Didn't even know his name. I know a boy. And let me, let me read it to you, exact words what he said. This is really cool. He says, he says uh, I, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man. He's a warrior. He speaks well and, and is a, a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Let me tell you something, and I hope this doesn't sound bad. I'm not saying anything to anybody, but you could have buck teeth as big as a goalpost, but the Lord's with you, you fine. You're good looking. You understand what I'm saying? I, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to say anybody, no one take that personal. I'm just saying, you can be ugly, it's sin. But man, you got Jesus with you, you fine. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, so, and so this guy had the presence of God, and he says all these things, but he says, but the Lord's with him. And, and so what happens, this young man shows up, David, as we all know now, and he has such a powerful, powerful worship that the demons are instantly cast out. Now, well, well, obviously, Saul didn't keep up with the deliverance because they came back. We know the story. But David, just the presence, when he worshiped God, God came down. My wife told me something. I didn't ask her permission. I better not say it. Anyway, but, but so, so, where's she at? Can I tell them about the dedal? The dedal? She, she saw something that really impacted me. She said, I just had this vision that God just began to move his little pinky toe and demons like rats scurried everywhere. God is not challenged by any type of thing that man can do or demons can do. He's looking for a man to stand in the gap, looking for a woman to really stand in the gap. But, but so David does something more than cast out the demons. It's really something far more powerful than that. Check this out. What David did was he tormented the actual demons that once tormented him. Because he didn't give up in the heat of battle. Don't give up. God's turning you into a warrior. Don't complain. Don't get upset. Why me, God? Why me, God? Just man up. And say, I know I'm going to win this battle. I refuse to give up. We're winners no matter what happens. So Romans chapter 8, 28 says it this way. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you love God, you're called according to his purpose. It's the only one who can put that love in you is the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. But, but, so don't, don't be discounted because of that. But it says God doesn't just say that God causes all things. It says he causes all things to work together for good. You have the world, the flesh, and the devil, and in-laws and whoever. I'm just kidding, no in-laws. But, but you have, you know what I'm saying? There, 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 there are things out there that we blame God for. 
Don't blame God for that. Just transform all that anger, all that hurt into amazing, tenacious worship and bring the presence of God down because it says he inhabits the praise of his people. Okay, so I'm gonna just jump to number two. Maybe God is allowing opposition to prevail in our lives because maybe it's necessary. What? Well, that was hard for me until I read Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. It says, you now rejoice in this, hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed. People say, why would it be necessary? God wants to bless us, but he wants the blessing to be a blessing. And so I said this to our church one time in El Salvador. I said, some of you are just one lotto went away from going to hell. Because what happens when we win the lotto? We forget God. Right? I'm just saying, I mean, I want to win a lotto, and I'm trying to get my heart right. I'm serious. I got a lot of churches and things to build, you know? But, but the thing is, it says, uh, it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. He says it again. This is necessary so that your faith may be genuine. And then he says these powerful words. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is tested by fire. And he goes on and talks about to the praise and glory of him. But so... I, this, this thought came to me, right? So maybe, maybe God allows us to experience opposition for a season because it's necessary to do something in us, to correct something in us. He doesn't enjoy opposition. He doesn't enjoy your suffering, but he enjoys your faith getting stronger. In fact, he says it this way, faith which is more precious than gold. You know what gold is? It's a paycheck. That's what he's saying there. So if God had to choose between if you made your paycheck become a detriment to your faith, what do you think God's going to choose? He's going to choose gold. Not gold, he's going to choose faith. So I think one of the greatest things is, is don't let success, don't let riches ruin you. Use them for the kingdom of God. So seek first the kingdom of God. The other thing I thought was interesting was in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, arm yourself also with this same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I've noticed in our church in El Salvador that when people are out of a job and they're praying, they're at church all the time. They're seeking that. We praise God, we're worshiping God, and you know, and then they get a job. Now it's not a high-paying job. They may make $100 a week and they show up and they got their one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and one to grow on. I mean, they're giving. But the minute they get a big salary, you know, we kind of, we deserve a break. And you know, God knows we have other needs. What is it about excess that can ruin us? If you want excess, have it for the kingdom of God. And God will bless you. And I believe God wants to bless us. But, but uh, you know, Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes what happens is when we suffer, I've seen people that go through this kind of schizophrenic Stockholm Syndrome relationship with God. I mean, while they're suffering, man, they're, they're, they're like prophets. But the minute things get going good, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, and they, they just disappear from the church. And that's what I think he's talking to those kinds of people. The person that suffers has ceased from sin, you know? I mean... There's a lot of things that don't look good when you're hurting. That, you know, man, when we need money, we don't have time for PlayStation 4, do we? You know? I don't know. But uh, 
I think we need to also understand that I will never embrace suffering willfully. I don't want to. In fact, I will do everything I can to avoid it. But if I do have to embrace it for whatever reason, I'm one, going to grow from it, and two, do everything I can so I don't have to repeat it. Right? But, but um, and I believe, too, this is very important, that we need to make our quiet time the priority of our life. Why I'm saying that? Because I believe we can actually exponentially enhance the quality of our lives and, and, um, and, 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 and also cause to decrease the actual impact of suffering on our life just simply by getting into the word, spending time with God. Listen to what it says here in Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. This is God speaking to us, right, uh, uh, through the writer here. But anyway, incline your ears to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Just simply being in the word and saying, God, what does this mean for me? How does it apply? Holy Spirit, speak to me. will save you from a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. Um, Anyway, verse uh, number three. Maybe God allows opposition in our lives because we become complacent when we have no opposition, when it gets too easy. This is a a pretty famous chapter, uh, second chapter Samuel, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse one and two. In the spring uh, of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, it says after his midday rest. One of them just didn't even say that. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof. And he looked over the city and noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. How many women take a bath on a roof? I, I don't want to get into that. But, but I, it just, it's just like, this is like total setup. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so... I don't think there's a person in the room that doesn't know the rest of this story. I mean, you know, and I don't know a man in the room that doesn't scare them to death. You know, it should. You know, but David wasn't where he was supposed to be. And as a result, he did something he wasn't supposed to do because he saw something he wasn't supposed to see. Right? And so he falls in adultery, commits a dirt, he falls in adultery, commits murder, and then lies to the prophet. Triple play, you're out. You know what I mean? That's all right there. And, and what was the root of all this? Complacency. He got, he got soft. Sometimes when we're in conflict, in struggles against the devil, we're ready. But then, it, what did it say? It said, it said, and Satan left him for a season when it talked about Jesus, right? Uh, and we get soft. And we can't get soft. We got to serve God just with the same intensity while we're blessed as when we're in the battle. But here's what I thought was interesting. The complacency was really the root because it says, late one afternoon, David got out of his bed and was walking on, yeah, I mean, he's like, he's sleeping until the, 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 the afternoon. I mean, he's like, he's, he's resting. It's my done. I've worked so hard. I don't need to do anything more. Look, while we're on the earth, there's a battle. You have not been saved from the battle. You've been saved into the battle. And there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no retirement. We have to keep fighting. We have to do what we have to do to stand and see the salvation of God. We have to. He, and that's the reason why you're here on the earth. Whether it's, I can just, all I can do is stay at home and pray. I'm gonna tell you something. Prayer is the most powerful thing that anybody can do. But David is like, he's, he's like sleep. I mean, his band of brothers 
are like dying, shedding their blood out on the battlefield, and David is in the Poconos. You know, he's just hanging out, relaxing. What's up, David? What's going on? He got soft. He got complacent. And he fell. Fell hard. Maybe it's complacency why God allows opposition in our lives. I, I remember one time I was talking with a pastor, Pastor Paul Plummer, and uh, I was really, I was, forgive me for this, but I was complaining about just one person in our church. I'm like, if this person, God could just like rapture him or do something, our church would go forward. You know, and it was a guy trying to split our church and all this. And I'm not saying anybody here is like that. But, but I'm just saying I was like, God, I, I, and I'm like, Pastor, man, what can I do? And I'll never forget Pastor Plummer who led a mega church from a wheelchair. He looked right at me and said, Pastor Rick, I understand what you're saying. I had the same thing when I was in Tahunga, California. I said, God, if you can take this one person out of my church, we'll go forward. And he said, God said, no. Because while he's in your church, you're praying right? Sometimes complacency is our worst enemy. Does any of this make sense? I, I know there's a time for rest, right? We all know there's a time for rest. Rest is important. I mean, Elijah, God's answer for Elijah after he went through Mount Carmel meltdown, <laughs> that's what he did. He went to Mount Carmel and he was a messenger of God. And then one lady threatens him and he's running for the rest of his life. And so he, he has his meltdown and what was God's answer for Elijah's burnout? It was food, drink, and sleep. And then he woke up and he said, food, drink, and sleep. The angel kept feeding him. I mean, he got, he, he got room service. The angel was bringing him food and stuff. So there is a time for rest, but listen to me. There is a big, big difference between I need rest and I deserve rest. Folks, we deserve nothing outside the blood of Jesus. And we got to be very careful. The greatest enemy of leadership isn't failure, it's success. It can be. It can be. Because we can handle, you know, you know like Paul, leave me in peace because I, I carry my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I mean, we can, we, can, we can bring a big bat on and be angry and ready to fight and, against Satan. But if he leaves us for a while and we start getting blessed and people start saying, man, no one preaches like you, you know, or nobody does this like you or nobody does it. And we let this go to our, it can lead us to a place like a deer in the headlights and bam, you know, because we are what we are by the grace of God. And uh, so anyway, the eye of the tiger, right? So number four, I hope I'm not, yeah, good. Maybe God allows us to have opposition in our life. Now, this is a little tricky, but I, it's something that came to me. Uh, because the victories he gives us become associated with pride in our lives instead of bringing more glory to God. Does that make sense? I mean, what happens is, okay, maybe if what we rebuke today is gone tomorrow, we go to church and we talk about, I rebuke this, I bound this, I cast this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, as I've always said. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, I, I've done that before, as I've always said. Who cares what Rick says? What does God say? Right? But we can get so caught up, walk slowly through the crowd and let them touch you and see how, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to come against that person that said that because there's some great things he said. But we can get so us 
that God says, you know what? Every time I bless them, they're kind of like Lucifer, you know? They kind of start stealing some of the worship from the earth. You know, it says that, that, that until, but, you know, he was, a, he was an archangel. All he would take the worship and give it to God is what I believe the scripture was saying there. And then he saw how beautiful he was. I deserve some of that, you know? It's a Luciferian spirit. And so sometimes we got to suffer. And we want to blame God for it. It's your fault. But I think so much arrogance is mistaken sometimes for faith. I bind you. I rebuke you. I command you. You guys know, we all know this. None of us have unilateral authority. We all have delegated authority in obedience to what God's told us. Uh, we, you know, there are a lot of people, no, you just, God has given you all authority. It does not say you have all authority. Jesus said, I have all authority. You go to all nations and teach them all things. Let me tell you if, you, don't go, if you don't have the willingness to do what Jesus tells you to do and the obedience to follow through with it, he's not going to give you all authority. Right. I mean, you know, you can, you can rebuke these walls until the paint comes off, and you can say Jesus' name. Jesus' name is not a magic wand. It, you know, it does things. It's a relational thing. You're representing his message. You're an ambassador of what he's told you to do. Right? It's not it, when you're walking in obedience. But we can get so caught up in, with us uh, binding and commanding, it's all about us, not really about Jesus. Your authority. We don't have authority outside of Jesus. Now, when we're sitting at the right hand of God through Jesus Christ, we're over all authority. Right? But when we're doing it on our own, it's just like what it says in Jude, you know? Not even Michael the archangel slandered Satan. See? But when we're in Christ, I'll tell you what. Satan come in here, I know what I tell him. I sit at the right hand of God through Jesus Christ, and I know exactly what God's called me to do. And that's what you got to do. You got to find out where's your Jericho? What's God called you to do? And you come H E double toothpick or high water, you go right through it. You know? I, I, I wasn't trying to say a bad word, but anyway, well, it's funny though. Sometimes our problem is we become so focused on being used by God um, it, that, that what happens is. Uh, we're more focused on uh, uh, being used by God than actually pleasing and serving God, right? And, and this becomes associated with our need to be noticed. We had this lady years ago in the church, and nobody here, and I'm not gossiping about anybody here. Don't even try to think who the person is. You could never figure out. But, and and I, I, I hate to say it, but we had this one lady, and she's a sweet lady, but, but uh, we were giving out all the awards of our servants ministry, and she got mad and said, you didn't give me an award. And I said, well, I, I didn't know that you were in the ministry. Yes. And I found out one time in like two years, she came and helped clean the church. And she said, I'm a, I'm a servant in the servant's ministry. And I'm like, no, you're not. That's not a servant. And here's the problem, guys. Sometimes people fall more in love with the idea of being a servant of God, but have no desire to actually serve him. And that has to do with pride. It has to do with me being noticed, right? And so what we started doing, we started minimizing on the rewards. Because when you minimize on the rewards, sometimes, I mean, I shouldn't say that. We, people need to be noticed and encouraged. But we got to be careful that we don't create a monster either, you know? We're doing it for God. I remember my wife preached a message that was amazing to me. I mean, we had people backing out of their responsibilities and everything, and, and Kim read that scripture where it says, see to it that no one steals your crown. And she said, I see crowns lying all around here. 
you don't want them, I'll do it. So she forced me to help her. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Hey, I got a few crowns too. Mean it. Look, when you're in the church, you're not serving Pastor Bill. You're not serving Pastor Beverly. You're serving God. Everything you do is for God. You know? Anyway, so sometimes it's kind of associated with this pride. The scripture basis, I didn't read a scripture much about it, but you remember that story about the spiritual juggernaut, the Pharisee, and then there's this tax collector, right? And, 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 the, and the, the spiritual juggernaut Pharisee says basically, hey, I'm not like extortionists. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Or even as his tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give. I do this. I do that. And then the tax collector, who basically somebody betrayed his country for money, God, I'm a sinner. I need help. And Jesus said, that tax collector went home justified rather than the other. Why? Because what the Pharisee did was wrong? No. What the Pharisee did was right, but his heart was wrong. I'm telling you, God is just looking for somebody to say, God, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. Help me. Just that God comes in. He changes us. He transforms. He forgives us. Um, the problem was not what the spiritual guy did. It's what his heart did. I mean, it's the condition of his heart. Um, you know, we as servants of God, we can, we can do something that's totally right on the outside, yet totally wrong on the inside. Because we're not doing it out of love for God. And that's really what I think Jesus was saying with the new love, the first love thing. He said, you left your first love. He lists all these things, but you left your first love. It wasn't what they did. It was they lost the love that impulsed, impul I say that, and that, that motivated them to do what they did. Okay, so, and I, to me, the difference between the two was that the sinner knew he needed God the spiritual juggernaut Pharisee thought God needed him. God help us. Finally, maybe God has allowed more opposition in our lives because he has a bigger plan than we have in our mind. I love this story about Lazarus, right? So in chapter 11 of John, Martha and Mary send this message to Jesus and say, Jesus, you better help him get here. Your friend, your best friend Lazarus, he's gonna die. But Jesus, he... You know, he's the boss, right? He does what he thinks is right. And, 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 and he kind of waits two days and takes a journey to where Lazarus was to where it's four days that Lazarus ends up dead. And you can almost feel the sense of unbelief that when in verse 21 of that chapter, uh, uh, they say to Jesus, I think it was Martha, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says these powerful words. He says, look, that your brother shall rise again. He says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He that believes in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. And then he says, basically at the, uh, the end of that verse, he says, do you believe this? And she said, yes. And Jesus rose him from the dead, right? But I think sometimes we get discouraged and stop trusting God when our deliverance delays. But check this out. Maybe, just maybe, our deliverance is delaying because God's got a bigger picture in mind right? I mean, maybe he's got bigger plans. Jesus says here about the Lazarus death in verse 4, he says, when Jesus heard about the sickness of Lazarus, he said, this sickness is not unto death, 
but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. You see, all the Pharisees said after four days, no, after three days, no one's raising from the dead. Not, not even God practices, because that, that's it. God only gives three days, that's it. And Jesus waited till the fourth day so they could know that Jesus was God. And, and basically shut the mouth of the Pharisees and revealed who he was. He was glorified. But, but check this out. Maybe the reason why your discomfort and opposition seems to sometimes prevail in your life is because, you know, God just doesn't have your comfort in mind. Maybe God has the salvation of your family in mind. Maybe God has the salvation of your coworkers who see something amazing. The longer we go through stuff, sometimes the greater the glory that Jesus receives. I mean, that one guy was blind for 30 years or something. He was a man. We don't know how old he was. And Jesus said this, was it because he sinned or they said, no, no, it's that the glory of God should be revealed. Maybe you're suffering. God's gonna deliver you. God's gonna help you. God's gonna strengthen you. But maybe God's got something bigger in mind than just your comfort. Trust God. He's going to take care of you. Now, I'm going to finish with this. And this was a word I felt like I was supposed to give at the end of this. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, it says, So I sought for a man, God speaking here, among them, who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. No one. God is looking for someone to lay aside comfort and say, I'll go into the pit. I'll take on a lion. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it, God. I'll do it. I remember one time I picked up one guy. He had a gun. I knew it. I saw it in the bag. God told me to pick him up, and I thought, what in the world do I do? I got kids and everything. So I just start witnessing to him. I just, sometimes I just get this kind of wild thought, and I do it because I feel God's telling me. I think, whoa, what am I doing, you know? But, and I ended up witnessing to him and praying with him, and he put the gun back in the bag. And left. But and I'm not saying go do that, all right? I'm not saying go do that. I felt God told me to do that, and I did it, right? But what I'm trying to tell you is, Find out what God wants you to do and do it. Where are those that say, I will throw my life in the hole in the wall so others will be saved? I will give my life so that others can be benefited. I had a word I felt for seniors again. I don't know. Um, and I don't see many seniors here tonight. So anyway, we're all young, right? <laughs> we're all young. But anyway, but... but uh, I heard this in my mind, I'm too old to jump in the pit. I'm too old. I feel like I have a word for you. It's Hebrews chapter 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, rather be healed. And I felt like telling you there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they... They, they uh, stood out of their generation in three ways. Three ways. One, they outlived their generation. Two, they were in their prime at the age of 85. And you know what else? Three, they believed God for the ridiculous. And I feel like sometimes because of age, we stop believing God for the ridiculous. Sometimes because of suffering, we stop believing God for the ridiculous. You remember the wild dreams that God put in your heart. Had one girl come up to you years ago and say, Pastor, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I, I don't know, I want to be a missionary, but I don't know if that's a devil or God. I'm like, 
The devil doesn't make missionaries, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, a lot of times we just get these kind of weird thoughts that are dysfunctional. 